Let's get into God's word here. I think the best way to recap Exodus chapter 3 is just read a few of the passages we uh, considered in light of what we read in the New Testament that uh, give commentary on Exodus chapter 2. And um, again, we know that Moses was uh, born there under the uh, reign of the Pharaoh that was wanting to kill all of the Hebrew children. And we read there that his parents saw that he was beautiful, hit him for three months, and then put him there again in that ark there in the river. And then Pharaoh's daughter found him, and when she saw him, when she saw truth there, she didn't kill him, but she took him in. And we've emphasized that a lot of how the truth sets people free. And that truth set her free when she saw that child. But then last week, we looked at that a few months ago, then last week in the second half of the chapter, we see that Moses came of age. Uh, Moses, uh, it seems here, his coming of age was 40 years old, but perhaps some of this was happening before then when he really heeded the call of God on his life. And though he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, remember his mother, his, his real biological mother was able to nurse him, and she got paid to do that. And afterwards, a few moms said, hey, I want that job, get paid to raise my kid. Uh, but we talked about how she not only gave uh, him mother's milk, but they obviously instilled the milk of God's word into his heart and the truth of God into his heart and the promised Messiah and so forth. Because in Hebrews eleven twenty four, and this is written a few thousand years after these things, but his commentary on it, it says, by faith when Moses became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And uh, so we see that Pharaoh or Moses, though he had, again, basically whatever he wanted as a natural man uh, was available to him. He saw the emptiness in it. He saw the bankruptcy in it. He saw the vanity in it. He saw, no doubt, the, the wickedness in it. And then he knew of the promise of the coming Messiah. And he said, listen, I would rather suffer with the people of God, knowing I have a greater reward, knowing that there's hope here in the coming Messiah who's going to die for our sins. I want eternal life, not temporary pleasure that leads to eternal separation. He knew he needed washed. He knew he needed forgiven. He knew he needed a savior. And so he esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater than the treasures, in this life, the treasures of Egypt. And we know Egypt is a picture of the world. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to, you know, keep this in our minds that, you know, as followers of Christ, there's going to be times when we're reproached for it. The word reproach, it means to be disgusting. It means to be despicable. It, 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 it means to be, you know, uh, persecuted. And uh, we've talked a lot about it. We, we know the day we're living in and we see a growing hostility. To, to the Lord and the things of the Lord and the word of God. But listen, um, that reproach in itself is a greater, there's greater riches in that reproach than the passing pleasure of this life because Jesus said, count it all joy when your name is thrown out for evil for my name's sake. And then on top of that, Moses looked for that reward and we know that, listen, our time here is very, very short. We're here for a moment. We really are. We're here for a day at the most you know, when you compare it with eternity. 
And we have eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, the Lord wants us to be looking to that reward. And so we talked about that last week. And then in Acts 23, Stephen gave some more commentary about this time when it was coming into Moses' heart to, again, stand with the Lord versus continue on with Egypt. And, and we read this last week, but Stephen talked about it a few thousand years later when he was talking to these Pharisees who had this pattern of rejecting these deliverers that the Lord was raising up for them, which were pictures of Christ to come. And so in Acts 7.23, he says, Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into the heart, and this is speaking of Moses, to visit his brethren for the children of Israel, or the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared, uh, and, and the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And we talked about that, how, again, it came into his heart, but it hadn't come into the heart of the Israelites yet. And uh, I think probably Moses' presentation was a little too fleshly as well, as we'll see today. The Lord needed to get him in 40 years in the wilderness to get him humbled and to move him from a place of saying, hey, I'm the man, come follow me, to, say, to saying, who am I, Lord? <laughs> and boy, there's a lot more God can do when we say, who am I, versus I'm the man of the hour. And we'll see that here today. So he's been in the desert there for 40 years. God blessed him with a wife there. He has two sons. And then now notice here in Exodus 3, verse 1, and we'll just start making our way down through this. We might get through the whole chapter. We might not. That's okay. It says, now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And you know Moses here, boy, he's gone from the center of the action to the back of the desert. I mean, you consider this guy's life, you know, the fact that, you know, his parents had that faith to spare him, knowing they were risking their own lives. And then again, he's put in that ark, and Pharaoh's daughter sees him, and raises him and he's raised there in the house of pharaoh you know really being in a place probably of being in line of high leadership there in egypt and then also you know what this backstory of knowing the things of the lord and so forth and he's in the center of the action and you know what we read in other places that he was well versed and actually was well spoken and so he had this first class education no doubt and that it came into his heart that the Lord wanted to use him to deliver the Israelites. God had placed this on his heart a long time ago, and he's made his move. You know what? I don't think he necessarily waited on the Lord in that. We talked about last week how when he killed that Egyptian, the Bible makes it clear that he was avenging the man and defending him, and the Bible doesn't condemn him for doing that, so it must have been an act of self-defense, so to speak, or an act of intercession that God uh, deemed okay, um, but again, he was rejected. 
And when it came to his attention that the Pharaoh knew and that he was going to lose his life, he fled to the desert. He's been there for 40 years from the center of, again, the action to the back of the desert. And I think, you know what, you look at this, you know what, from a natural man's view, and you say, boy, Moses' life sure was exciting, and those last 40 years, it's been nothing. Just in the desert, tending to sheep. Not for four months, not for four years, not for 14 years, but for 40 years. There'll probably be a lot of people that say, well, you know what, you blew it, God was done with you, wasting away out there, but actually where Moses is here, it's a glorious place, and where Moses is, it's a good place, because Moses is out there in that desert, but he's working, he's tending to his father-in-law's flock and ministering to his family, he's out here in the desert alone, and what some would say is a boring waste of life isn't because out there in the desert, listen, he's living his life under the Lord, and that's what God had for him, and he was doing it unto, the, unto God. And listen, when you do what God has for you unto him, whether it's in the middle of all the action or out in the desert, you're doing it under the Lord, and it's to his glory, and it's not a waste of life at all. And I think we need to be reminded of that because, listen, a lot of times life gets boring, doesn't it? and mundane, and it's day in, and it's day out. And I think in the midst of that, the enemy wants us to be anxious, and he wants us to be in a place of thinking, you know what, if I just had a little bit more, then my life would be more exciting, it would be more noteworthy, it would be more fulfilling. But let me ask you tonight, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Can you say amen to that? Listen, through the knowledge of him, you have all things pertaining to life and godliness. And we might be planning as our way, but he directs our steps. And this is what he has for you today, and that's a good thing. And that's something we should rejoice in, and we should glorify him. Because listen, even these 40 years in the desert, God knew what he was doing. And not one of those days was wasted. God, or Moses had been in Egypt for 40 years, and I think God knew he needed Moses in the desert for 40 years to get Egypt outside of him, to get it out of him. To get him from being this place so it was in his heart, but it seems, you know, he went about it the first time in a fleshly manner, wanting to strike someone down, and the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. I'm moving from being the place of, hey, listen, you're supposed to follow me, to bringing him this place of humility, who am I, so we would be what? Dependent upon the Lord. And when you get out into the desert, listen, you, the, the way of survival is you got to be dependent upon the Lord. And so let's make sure again in, in the desert places, in the day in and the day out, that we are not in a place where we're thinking, if I just get a little more attention or if I, if I prop myself up a little bit more, if I get a little more people to recognize me or if I get this achievement or that achievement, that, then, then I'll have some contentment. Listen, in Christ Jesus, again, you have all things that you need right now and your day to day and where God has you is not a mistake and we need to learn to rest in him. And again, it's godliness with contentment's great gain. It, it, you know, sometimes we're in places and there's not a godliness there. And we're like, this, this, this isn't, I can't be content in here. We shouldn't be content when there's not godliness there. And we can deal with that real easy by just laying whatever it is at his feet. You know, that's not hard just to say, here it is, Lord. And then we can rest in him. And again, we can do our work unto him. 
I love it. I've read this a few times recently, but I think it's something the Lord really wants us to have in our heart. Colossians 3.22, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men. And listen, that's true whether you're leading two million people through a sea that God has miraculously split apart and there's an army of Egyptians following you that God is going to drown or if you're in the backside of the desert tending to a bunch of sheep all alone, do it heartily unto the Lord. That's all he wants. <laughs> because listen, whether you're tending sheep or the ocean is splitting, God's the one that bestows those things. God's the one that gives those things. He's not impressed. God's the one that caused that ocean or that sea to split. And it says here, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord. And again, Moses left Egypt saying the reproach of Christ is a greater rich, you know, it is, is, there's more riches in that looking to, you know, at the reward than the pleasures of Egypt. And listen, part of that include 40 years in the desert. And he said, this is better. 40 years in the desert a reproach for Christ is better than where I was. And again, most people will look at this and say, boy, he's wasting his life away out there in the desert. But no, he was in the desert because of the reproach of Christ. And at that point, it wasn't just from the Egyptians. It was also from the Israelites. They didn't want to be delivered yet. And he was really persecuted by his own people. And there'd be a little bit more of that later on in the next 40 years of grumbling and complaining against him. But he said, this is better. And so I just hope there's some encouragement in that. Trying to bring it by way of encouragement. I think we need it in the desert times when we're tending in sheep. Again, out in the, in the backside of wherever or, you know, whatever your desert place is. And we get those temptations to think that, you know what, I need more than this to be content. If you have the Lord, you have it all. Again, 1 Timothy 6, 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and certainly can carry nothing out, and having food and clothing with these, with this, we should, with these, we should be content. Now notice verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush, so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. This is a miracle here. This is an amazing thing that is going on. It is a bush that is burning, but is not consumed. Now, I hear people all the time try to explain away miracles in the Word of God. And I've heard people say, you know, when the Red Sea, when it split, it's because there's a time of the year when the tides are low and you actually could, on the right day at the right time, you could walk through it, and so that's, what's ha that's what happened. And then you're like, well, then a bigger miracle happened, and a whole Egyptian army drowned in a foot of water. And I've heard concerning bushes, and I know it's true that in the desert there's times when a bush will combust and it will just light on fire. But that's not what this is. This bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. This is a miracle here. And notice, in the middle of the flame of the fire is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord in this instance is the Lord himself. This is Jesus Christ. And we know this is because later on, this same 
angel of the Lord identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the I am. I am who I am. And we know Jesus in his ministry, and I don't know if we'll get this to this tonight because it's on the back side of this. I don't know if we'll get through this whole chapter. You know what? In dealing with the Pharisees and when he was proclaiming his deity, they got very upset. And he said, listen, Abraham, look for my coming. And they're like, who are you to say you were here before Abraham? And he said, I am who I am. He identified himself as the angel of the Lord here who identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am who I am. Or in other words, I am or I have always been. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And see, there's times in the Old Testament where we see this reference to the angel of the Lord and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the text will always show that it is the Lord himself. See, the word angel, it means messenger. And it's not to say that Jesus is a created being as the angels were because he's not, but he was the messenger of the Lord. And there are several appearances of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And so this is Jesus Christ himself appearing here to Moses. Again, an Old Testament manifestation of Jesus Christ. And again, he appears to him in this flame. The bush is burning with fire, but it's not consumed. And I thought about this. I thought about this bush. And I thought, listen, I want to be like this bush where I'm on fire, but I'm not consumed. And who's in the midst of it? It's Jesus Christ. And I thought of you know what John the Baptist said. He was baptizing. And then in Matthew 3.11, he said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance but he was coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. And notice, he's talking about Jesus here. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His widowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And listen, we want to be a people on fire for the Lord, do we not? I mean, I hope we're here not, not let's gather together on Wednesday night and we want to live a lukewarm life for Jesus. I don't think that's why you're here tonight. I think we're here tonight because we love the Lord, right? And we want to live for the Lord. And we want to be on fire for the Lord. And we talk about that. Oh, he's on fire for the Lord. And uh, you know, sometimes that's true. And sometimes we make judgments that probably aren't even ours to make. But I know myself, and again, I... I, I, I believe you're here tonight because we do want to be on fire for him. And, and listen, this bush is on fire but not consumed. And again, who's in the middle of the bush? It's the Lord himself. And if you want to be on fire for the Lord, you know what the key is? Draw near to the Lord. <laughs> Draw near to him. He wants to pour out his spirit upon us daily. And he wants to flam, fan that flame daily. And listen, that that's... That flame can't be fanned outside of him. Otherwise, it's a flame that's going to get, you know what? It's going to get low really quick because we can't manufacture the things of God on our own. But he takes great pleasure when we draw near to him. And we say, Lord, strengthen me today and encourage me today. But we got to look to him, the author and finisher of our faith. And there's Moses in the middle of the desert. and He's having a face-to-face with the Lord himself. Verse 3, then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And again, notice Moses is here in the desert. He's been there for 40 years. He's doing his work. He's doing it unto the Lord. But at the same time, he's not so fixated with his work that it prevents him from seeing the Lord. I think that's where that balance comes in. Listen, 
Before man fell, God had man working. And Adam was working unto the Lord. And we spend a lot of our time working, don't we? I mean, a lot of our day is spent working. And so we need to talk about this, and the Bible talks about it. And I think it's important that we know when we go to work, whether it's you know, at home taking care of kids or taking care of the house or we go out to a job or whatever it is, we all work in this room, do we not? Is there anyone here that doesn't work? We're all doing something. <laughs> and listen, again, when we do it under the Lord, He's glorified, but sometimes the work itself can become our job where we forget the Lord in it. And the Lord doesn't want that because when that happens, it just becomes aimless conduct. Then we're just moving something, and most work is this, moving something from point A to point B. That's what most work is if you start really thinking about it. It's just moving stuff around. And, and some people say, well, I move really important things around, so I'm really important, you know. You know, and they move around their important thing. And then they say, well, other people, well, you know, that's not so important what you're doing over here. You're not as important as us. But listen, all of it, for the most part, in the day is just aimless conduct. And the Bible says that. And it says we were purchased by the blood of Jesus from our aimless conduct. And again, work, if we're doing under the Lord, it's not aimless conduct. But if we forget him, it becomes aimless conduct. But listen, when we do it unto him, we're going to see him. And Moses, we know he's doing his work under the Lord because he's not so consumed with it that he can't see, again, this burning bush and be drawn to it. And I guarantee you, day in and day out, you start looking for the Lord, you're going to start seeing him. You're going to start hearing from him. And that also involves getting into the word of God and having fellowship with him. But again, some folks, they never look around. They just got their head down. Moses is working, but he's looking around. And when he looks around... Again, he marvels at what he sees. And it's a marvelous thing when we see the Lord working in our lives. And listen, he wants to work in our life. Even in the backside of the desert when we're all alone with a bunch of sheep. And everyone's forgotten us in Egypt. And everyone, you know, of the Hebrews has forgotten us as well. That's okay because, listen, the Lord doesn't forget us. I love what Stephen said about this in Acts 7, 30 and 31. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight as he drew near to observe the voice of the Lord. Uh, the voice of the Lord came to him. And again, he marveled. He marveled in it. And I think there's all kinds of things for us to marvel in if we would just look around and see. Tonight, when you leave here tonight, do me a favor. Look up at the sky at the stars there and marvel because our God hung those and sustained, sustains them. And I've seen more than one little baby here tonight. Marvel at that. What God did there. And listen, as we partook of communion tonight, I hope it wasn't just vain repetition of some religious act. But as we held that in our hands that we did remember, the Lord wanted us to do this in remembrance of what he did for us. And I hope that we marveled at that. And maybe we didn't, but hopefully we're marveling at it now. <laughs> Don't let, again, don't let the enemy rob you of those blessings because there's all kinds of things every day that the Lord has given and, and the Lord working in our life that, that is there for us to marvel at if we would just look around. 
And I'll tell you, when you start to marvel, when you start to have that thankful and grateful heart, it will change your life. It will. Verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, I am here. Now, this is interesting. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. And I have to think that perhaps the fact that Moses looked showed the Lord Moses was ready to hear. Again, he was out there working, but the fact he looked showed him he was ready to hear. We're called to look unto Jesus. And how are we going to hear from Jesus if we're not looking unto Jesus? I have found that oftentimes the voices that I'm hearing or the voices I'm hearing from come from that which I have my eyes fixed on. And if you go throughout the week and you don't want to look to the Lord in the word and prayer and just glorifying him, thanking him for all that you have. And, and, and when you do, when you just say, Lord, thank you for our night. Thank you, Lord, that we could come and gather here tonight freely and worship him. Listen, there's being laws passed right now in certain states. Back east in Massachusetts in particular, that, that, that have wording in it, would, which really, and it's, it's being challenged, but it's wording to come in and shut down what we're doing here tonight if we call sin, sin. So we have reason to pray, but we have reason to rejoice. Because we're here tonight and we don't, have to, we don't have to worry about that right now. Not that we have to worry about it then, but we should give thanks to Him, amen? We're to pray that we can live peaceably. And again... That's looking to Him and praising Him just in the midst of life. And when we look to Him, we're going to hear from Him. But if we don't want to look to Him, and again, we just want to look, for, look, to, look at moving pile A to pile B, and then pile B to pile C, you know who we're going to hear from? We're not going to hear from the Lord. We're going to hear from pile C, B, and A, and the other people moving it around. And I want to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 5, then he said, do not draw near to this place, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And this is probably a, a, a text or at least an account that most of us are familiar with, you know, the burning bush account, this is a pretty, you know, well-known, you know, account in the scripture. <coughs> I don't ever call it a story because a story comes off to me as something made up. These aren't stories. This is truth here. And, uh, but have you ever wondered why did God ask him to take the sandals off his feet? And, uh, you know, I was just considering it this week, just saying, you know, why, why did he have them? And, you know, what came to my mind is who knows where those sandals had been? Those sandals had been all over the earth getting filthy. Who knows how long these sandals lasted. We know that the sandals they wore out in the wilderness last for 40 years. And so that could have been a miracle. could have also been that the Lord taught Moses how to make sandals that last for 40 years when he was still in Egypt. We don't know. Maybe those were the same sandals he wore in Egypt. And again, these sandals have been all over the face of the earth. They'd also been made by man itself. You know, sandals don't just appear, men make them. And I think in that, they represented sin, getting filthy, 
walking all over the earth. And they also represented something made by man. And listen, by man's efforts, you can't come into his presence. And in a sinful state, you can't either. And so those things had to be taken off. And see, we, can't, we don't have access to the Lord if we are in sin. That sin that we're born into and that sin that multiplies as we walk around here on the earth. Can you imagine if a sandal represented our life? It would be some filthy feet, right? Some filthy sandals. And absolutely, we can't construct something that would bring us into His presence. And I think this is a picture of God take, taking the, take those filthy sandals, those filthy man-made sandals off your feet. The place where you're standing is holy. And again, to come into His presence, we have to be Holy. And uh, on of our, in of ourselves, we, we don't have any hope in that. But praise God, all this was happening in part to bring forth that which would, again, cleanse us the coming forth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they'd been down there in Egypt for 40 years and God had multiplied them or for 400 years to bring them out, to establish them as a nation, that through them they would be a people that, again, at least... Throughout all of it, there would always be at least a remnant that had that understanding the Messiah is going to come forward and they going to make themselves separated to fulfill those prophecies of the Savior coming forth, the Son of God, born through the seed of the woman, who would go to the cross and shed His blood so that we could be washed, so that we could be cleansed. And indeed, Jesus absolutely did that. And praise God, we can come to Him boldly tonight knowing that we've been washed by Him and through Him through the work of the cross of Calvary. And that's a good thing, isn't it? That we can come to Him. Now, verse 6, it says, Moreover, He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, God wanted to be really clear about who he was. And you look at scripture and it's amazing how God communicates to us really clearly who he is. Throughout the word of God, he makes it very clear who he is. And I believe he does that because, again, the enemy works hard to try to confuse us and he wants to step into that place of being God, and he is continually wanting to put forth false gods. But the Word of God declares who God is and makes it very clear so that we can test all things by the Word of God. And he makes it very clear to Moses who he is to get away all confusion. God is not a God of confusion. You know, let Moses sit there and wonder, okay, who am I talking to here? Is this the God of heaven? Is this the God my father's talked to? Is this a demon? Is this some Egyptian deity? Who is this? And God makes it very clear who he is. God is not a God of confusion. He's not secretive in this. And he wanted to identify this to Moses as well because Moses knew of the covenants that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he was separating them as a people. That again, they could be a blessing to the whole world. That all families of the earth could be blessed through them because he gave them the promise of the Messiah. And in, in God identifying himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, again, it was in part a proclamation of that gospel, of that promise that had been given to them. And notice here, 
Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look upon God, and it shows Moses' humility. In fact, later on, uh, at one point, it says that Moses was the most humble man upon the face of the earth. And uh, it's kind of interesting because Moses himself wrote that, but... uh, but Scripture was inspired as the Holy Spirit moved in, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll believe it based on the Holy Spirit moving them, not on declaring, I'm a really humble guy. <laughs> I'm proud to be humble. But, but it shows that he recognized he was a sinner. And again, with the mention of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it, it, was, it was reference, you know, it, how was he the God of them? He was the God of Abraham because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And what did he believe God concerning? He believed God concerning the fact that he wanted to raise him up as a nation that through him the Savior of the world would come. And so the gospel's in this. And again, the good news is that the Lord came to save us from the bad news that we are sinners. And so he hides his face and he was afraid to look. And listen... Those 40 years in the desert had done Moses well. Because even though before it had come into his heart, he was racing ahead of God because Israel wasn't ready to be delivered. And people aren't delivered through works of the flesh. They're delivered through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And when he went there and he slew that Egyptian, even in a place of self-defense, he was going about the business of God in the wrong way. Way and at times we're guilty of doing that, aren't we? I've been guilty of doing it many times. Where we race ahead of God, we try to force things versus waiting upon Him. And again, this is why the desert should not be despised, and the mundane day should not be designed to despise. Listen, in the day in and day outs of your life, God is doing a work in your life. And then the reproach that came with it, because he said, listen, I'm done with Egypt. And again, most men would look at him and say, you're an utter fool. Whatever you want is at your disposal, and you walk away from that for the reproaches of Christ and to be in the desert for 40 years, you're a fool. But listen, he wasn't foolish at all. He understood. He understood the end game. He understood the eternity issue. He understood the fact that he needed a savior. And those 40 years did him well. Remember that when you're in the desert, okay? Anyone in a desert tonight? Remember it. God's on the throne. God doesn't despise the desert. In fact, start looking at the desert in the scripture. Boy, some glorious things took place in the desert. I love his humility here too because... Man, we're living in a day-to-day where just so many people, when it comes to even God, I mean, there's such an an air of self-righteousness in the world today in the midst of just gross wickedness. And let's just remember, we are sinners and we are only saved by grace, and He is is to be revered and glorified and honored, amen? Amen. Now, verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And listen, again, 
Sometimes God will allow taskmasters, thorns, and trials. And these seem very bad, don't they? Anyone want a harsh taskmaster in their life? Maybe some of you have them. I was just talking about desert. You're like, oh yeah, every day I go to it. That person who just oppresses me all day long, who I have to work under. Anyone there? You don't have to say, yeah, that's me. Well, wait a minute, your boss is in the front row, so keep that down now. But sometimes he'll allow a taskmaster, a, a thorn or a trial, and it seems very bad. But listen, God had used those taskmasters, whether they knew it or not, for Israel's good because it got them crying, we want out of here. And listen, Egypt was a very good place to live from the natural perspective. It was a lush land. It was a booming economy. And up until the point that that new Pharaoh rose up that did not know Joseph, Israel prospered incredibly there in Egypt. They really did. And then this new Pharaoh was raised up. And no doubt they stepped back and they, as they saw it happening, what's going to happen to us? We're going to lose all our rights. You know what? It's going to be a liberal Supreme Court, what's going to happen to us? And boy, again, we, we spent two, three weeks talking about these first few chapters. They killed their children. They put them under a rigorous load. They oppressed them. And the more they did that, the more that they multiplied. And the more the Lord worked in their midst the more they began to call out to God and it came to the point where they cried out to him every day, get us out of here. And listen, God didn't want them anymore there. He, he was time for them to be delivered. So he brought some things into their life that got them looking up and crying out to God because again, before, they weren't at that point. Again, it entered into Moses' heart. Now again, he raced ahead of the Lord, but they weren't ready to go either. And Stephen used that in Acts to show how many times the Israelites had their necks stiffened to the things of the Lord. But God allowed that to happen to get them to begin to cry out. And listen, the Lord said, I see their oppression and I've heard their cry. And isn't that a glorious thing? He sees our oppressions and he hears our cries. And let me give you a little insight tip here. Egypt will always oppress you. Egypt's a picture of the world. And it will always oppress you if it's not in its proper place. It may not at first. At first it will be some passing pleasures, but eventually it will oppress you. And for those that are never delivered out of it, it will be an eternal oppression. It's full of lies. It's smoke and mirrors. But again, he hears our cries. He sees our oppression. And praise God, again, notice here. He knows our sorrows, for I have known their sorrows. Listen, that's good news tonight, is it not? The God who made us hears our cries, know our, He knows our oppressions, and He knows our sorrows. And this is where some people say, and maybe what you're thinking, then why doesn't He do something about it? Well, listen, He did. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. To die for your sins, so you can be washed and be in right standing with God, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, have all His promises that are yes and amen. And listen, 
Again, though there's things that should grieve our hearts, tonight if he's your Lord and Savior, you have all the reasons in the world to rejoice and to celebrate and to stand in him. Because even in the midst of sorrows, in the midst of the desert, whatever you're going through, he is using it for good. And that's part of the promises we have in him. So even in those things, we have reasons to rejoice and reasons to be content because God is using it for good. Verse 8. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And notice here, I've come down. This is the first time he had come down. You know, Genesis. Or other times he came down. Came down to get something done. And listen, it won't be the last time that he's come down either, right? It wouldn't be the last time. I mean, he'd come down and live a life that was sinless and die for our sins. He came down to deliver them there. He came down at the cross to, again, deliver us and fulfill those promises. And listen, he's coming down again. And in this coming down, it was a twofold thing. It was really to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. It's taken about 40 years to get in that land of milk and honey. We'll talk a little bit about that lately. But it was also to bring a judgment on these Canaanites. These people had access to the gospel, and time and time again, they rejected and they refused it, and they went deeper and deeper into their paganism, to their child sacrifice, to their gross immorality that they stood in very self-righteously saying, we are the holy ones in what we do. It is amazing how arrogant and self-righteous gross sinners can get, and when a culture begins to embrace it, again, I already mentioned, I, I just... Our nation in so many turns has lost all shame when it comes to sin. And that badge of shame has become a badge of honor and standing in rebellion against God. Am I the only one that sees that? It's, it's very sad. And the Lord would come down to bring that deliverance. And he would come down to bring that judgment. And listen, we're on the cusp of that happening again. And so in the midst of our day in and day out, mundane activities in the midst of the desert, let's make sure that we are looking up and looking unto Jesus Christ, amen? Because uh, 40 years, no doubt, probably seemed like a long time, but that day came when the Lord, again, met him there, and he came down. And I can guarantee you, listen, that day is coming when he is coming back for his people, because he is not a liar. And in fact, next week we'll see that even this had been prophesied, this coming had been prophesied. In the midst of their crying out, maybe some of them knew, but it had already been prophesied. You'd be there about 400 years and I'm going to deliver you out. And God always does what he says he is going to do. Well, Lord, we bless you tonight and we praise you and we just thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this time, Lord, to spend in the desert with Moses. And... Uh, we just thank you, Lord, that indeed, you know what, you have, Lord, given us the Holy Spirit by your grace through faith in you. And tonight, Lord, I would just pray, God, that our hearts have been stirred and I would just pray, God, you would absolutely give us a fresh 
filling of the Spirit of God, and Lord, ignite that fire that John spoke of, Lord. Not a strange fire, but the fire of the Lord, because that fire burns, and though it consumes sin, it absolutely builds us up in you so that we can shine for you, and we want that, Lord. And so we ask for that tonight, God, and Lord, tonight, you know everyone's heart here, and maybe all of us know you, but I know this, Lord, if there's any who don't know you here tonight, it's not by mistake that they're here. And we've talked about the gospel tonight, the bad news that we are sinners and God is holy and our sin condemns us to hell. But Jesus Christ lived a sinless life and he paid the price for our sin. He defeated death when he rose from the grave that Listen, you call on the name of Jesus. You call upon the name of the Lord and he'll save you and he'll wash you through what he has done for you. And if you haven't called on him, I encourage you, do that tonight. He'll meet you where you're at. The angels in heaven will rejoice and you can rest in the assurance of your salvation through Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Just bless the rest of our night. We thank you for this time. God, what a blessing to come here tonight to praise you. Just bless everyone as they leave this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. God bless you.